This week I went to uh, a conference of uh, college educators on technology and of course one of the uh, big points of discussion was uh, generative AI known in various forms, ChatGPT, the ability to ask a computer uh, question and get a human-like response to be able to give the compu a computer a, a command to write or produce a original work of uh, poetry, of music, or of uh, artistry, artistry, and have it uh, respond with a relatively decent facsimile of that. And the big discussion, of course, was, well, what's going to happen to, how's this going to change education? And of course, at least, you know, we can look to past guidance and we can see that, you know, that somehow math teachers survived the advent of the uh, calculator, right? And so we, we could draw a lot of parallels from that. And I was struck this week, though, I went back and I was uh, reading about Solomon a lot and thinking about uh, some of uh, his experiences in life and his words. And I came upon Ecclesiastes with, and I'd like to read from the, the first chapter. Ecclesiastes, which means the preacher or someone who addresses an assembly, chapter 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath the man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor, man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see this is new? It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those things that shall come after. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sorted veil hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, 
and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. I commune with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and I have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart hath great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. So now would be a good time for a diatribe about new technology, right? Telling you how evil it is and how it's destroying us. I'll let somebody else preach that sermon. But it's interesting to me here. Now, Solomon, we know, well, the, the author of Ecclesiastics, he says he's the son of David. He was king in Jerusalem. And if we read through the book here, we see that a lot of the the, there are a lot of hints that this is Solomon, and uh, most, uh, most Bible scholars believe that Solomon wrote this. Solomon, of course, was David's son, king after David. We know that Solomon went and uh, prayed to the Lord. He was a young man when he took over the kingdom. He was about 20 years of age. And he asked the Lord, the Lord came to him in a dream and told him to ask whatever he wanted. And Solomon asked for wisdom to lead his people. And the Lord was pleased with that and told him that not only would he give him wisdom to lead his people, he would make him the wisest man in the world, that he would provide great wealth and that great, great wealth for him. And Perhaps that would be a, a good place to end the story. We know as Solomon went on in his life that uh, as we had read last week in the Bible class lesson, um, he, when he became king, he did many of the things that back in Deuteronomy God had told the king not to do, come involved with acquiring horses and lots of gold and silver and marrying um, women that would turn their hearts away from, from the Lord, from Deuteronomy 17. And Solomon's life became a, a case study of that. We know he also built high places for his wives to worship, and his heart was turned away from the Lord. And that's all the rest of Scripture tells us about Solomon. We have this, we have the Song of Solomon um, that follows this book of Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes here, it seems that Solomon is writing this as an older man. We like to think that perhaps as he, when he became older, that he repented of his sins. And this book at least gives us indication that he 
was reckoning with this in his mind and life as he got older. And as we, we look here, he talks about, you know, how there's nothing new under the sun. We go to the third chapter, he talks about that which has been is now. And for us in our modern world, we, we might, at first glance, we might take that to be uh, very, very mistaken, right? We have modern technology, we see all the changes that are taking place in our lives. Uh, my grandfather was born in prior to the 19th century, or was born in the 1800s, late 1800s, came into the world in the era of horse and buggy transportation, and lived long enough to see uh, us put a man on the moon. He thought that was an amazing thing. Uh, those of us that started out more with the man and moon, the, with the uh, man landing on the moon, we uh, wonder if we live long enough what, what we might see. And yet Solomon says that things stay the same. The thing that stays the same, I think, is human nature, the way that men and women, uh, our essential human nature has not changed in all these years. We can read about, we can read about the, the people in the Old Testament. We can see the moral dilemmas they faced. We can see the challenges that they faced in their lives. And yet today, even though we may face what we perceive as different challenges, still, from a human perspective, these challenges are very much the same as they have been throughout all of, man, all of the age of mankind. So my question was, as I considered Solomon's life today, or this, this week, is what, how does this apply to my life? What are some things that I could, could learn from stepping back, if I look at Ecclesiastes, if I step back, you know, I hate to... I hate to say I'm older, but I'm somewhat older. What are the things that I could learn by stepping back and looking at, at my life? And in particular, you know, this, this book gets very, Ecclesiastics becomes very philosophical, but at the heart of it, we see when we get to the end, it's about Solomon's relationship with God and how does the life that he lived, how does that get back to the ultimate, the ultimate goal, goal of life or the ultimate rationale for us being living beings here on this earth? And what does that mean in relationship to God? So as I step back through my life, I thought about my life as a child, first, and some of the earliest memories that I have of going to, to church, especially on a, on a sunny day, walking there with my father, 
um, sitting with my mom and dad in the pews, being able to, to sing, being able to play with, my, with uh, the children my age at church after lunch, and the way that I loved to go to church. I didn't want to miss church. I didn't want to miss Sunday school. I loved to hear my Sunday school teachers tell me about the, the stories from the Bible. You know, I'd go home at night, and I think one of the things that you know, I really appreciate my mother doing for us is that every night she read us a story before bed. And my other brothers, my younger brothers, would fall asleep open often, but I would always be awake and wanting, be wanting another story. So as I look back, I have this very idealistic version of what my life was, what my relationship to God was when I was young. You know, we've been going through, we, a couple weeks ago, we had the lesson in Bible class of Samuel, you know, about how he was serving in the temple from a very young, young age. Uh, we talked about it again, again today, about his life and how, in Bible class, and how he... His relationship with the Lord changed as he got older, and that's kind of what I'm looking at today. I'm looking at my relationship with the Lord and how it has changed from when I was a child. So again, I think it started out very somewhat idealistic. Um, believe that God could do anything. Believe that God loved me that God was there for me, and that I was, I was living in this, this uh, again, uh, living the, the perfect life, living the good life. And then I got older and started heading toward the teen years, and I started to experience some um, Challenges in my life from the, the fact that, hey, I still like to go to church. I still like to hang out with my friends at church. But started to have more questions, you know, started to look more deeply into the Word and to ask more challenging questions and to question myself more, you know, is, is, God, is God really God? Is God really there? I can't say that at that point in my life I had a lot of questions about God's existence, um, but I was very good at picking up on the details of the different stories and trying to think those through about, hey, does that seem realistic, or how did this happen, or, or you know, does this contradict something else in the scripture? Started to have more of those deeper, deeper examination of the word. And yet, there was still a part of me that was that child that had that childlike faith. And if we look at some examples from the Bible of, of uh, those that we can think of at this age here, we, we think of Joseph as the, a teenager, you know, where he had those, those dreams, and he told his brothers, and his brothers were jealous and, and hated him, and yet he was kind of off in this la-la land, didn't seem to realized that uh, he was just uh, tormenting his brothers with the, the dreams of his, his future, uh, his, of his future. 
Um, we think of Jesus, who when he was 12 was found in the temple talking to the leaders of the there and asking them questions and answering their questions with uh, deep insight from the scripture. Uh, perhaps we don't know how old Cain and Abel were, but uh, per, perhaps they were late teenagers or uh, maybe even early 20s, and the rivalry that uh, Cain at least felt between them and how he, he was angry enough that he killed his brother Abel. And so a lot of times, you know, in, in the uh, Old Testament and, of course, the biblical times here, the period of adolescence was not, uh, was not the, the uh, type of extended growing or, or learning that we think of today. These, these challenges didn't go on for years. Uh, basically, as a teenager, you had to learn a skill and be ready to work or... As a young woman, you might be expected to to marry in your early teen in your late teen mid teenage years already, and so in in some ways, perhaps the Bible does not not address this uh, in the minute detail that we think about it today as a period of of adolescence. Of course, we have to we. Uh, we have probably much more angst over our occupations, choosing an occupation or trying to figure out as teenagers what we're good at, what we could do uh, to make a living or what we enjoy doing even. And of course, as a teenager, we become, start to become somewhat aware of the impact of our, of our choices and perhaps we develop uh, certain uh, concerns or fears about staying safe, or perhaps we're a risk taker and we throw caution to the wind. And uh, of course, that potentially uh, some some have no no issues and live through that. And others, of course, uh, I you know personally in our in our high school we had several several students that uh, that died. Um, most of them. By, because they took inappropriate risks. And this is also at the time, though, when, when we face these challenges of thinking about our lives and our lives with God and how, what is, what am I, how is God going to, how is God going to be in my, my life, if he exists. If I believe that he exists, how am I going to work with God? How am I going to, um, how is he going to fit into my life? And as growing up in a believing family, of course, we often as a teenager, we, we experience the uh, call from God, we experience these strong emotional calls where we realize, you know, perhaps for the first time that there is sin in my life or there is that I'm falling short of the glory of God, that I, that God is holy and I am far from that. And we realize these human, these new human temptations that we have these new pressures that we have, these new experiences that we have, and suddenly 
we, are, we struggle with these. For me personally, as a teenager, you know, I'd go to church camp, I'd feel the call of God, and I would feel this separation from God. I would suddenly feel this separation from God that I didn't feel as a young child. As a young child, I felt this closeness with God. I felt that God was there for me. And suddenly, as a teenager, I started to realize that, hey, I fall short of the glory of God. I'm, there's that separation of sin between me and God, between what God expects of my life and the way I'm living my life. And the struggles that I felt went on for way too many years, more years than they should have. But at the same time, we all don't learn at the same rate. We all don't make exactly the same experience. God works with us as individuals and is not looking for a one-size-fits-all experience. If we're able, as teenagers, to come through that, to make a choice that we're going to live for God, to choose Jesus as our Savior, as we would say, to ask Jesus to come and to rule our lives, to take over our lives, to direct our lives, we perhaps have a step up on young adulthood, where suddenly we will come out of school, we'll come out of our education, our training, whether it's from high school or college, and we will be thrust, thrust into the business of life, where we are seeking our calling, our place in the world. We have faced, again, with perhaps occupational choices. We may change jobs. We may change, change uh, what we're doing if we're still unsure. We may be faced with more difficult choices, perhaps the choice of a spouse, perhaps the, the, uh, the choice of whether we need more education or more schooling to be able to do what we really feel called to do. And again, these are difficult choices that we face. We talked today about, you know, how do we know, how do we know what God wants us to do? How do we, are there... Uh, should we expect signs? Should we expect signs and wonders? And you know, it's, it's uh, when I was uh, a teenager, I loved hearing other people's experience about how God worked a miracle in somebody's life or how God gave someone a great sign or did something amazing in their lives and gave them direction. God showed them where to do pointing them directly, exactly, you know, what they should do in this situation or that. Again, in Bible class, we talked about how that's not always easy. You know, we, my, uh, my one consolation here in that is if, when I go to uh, 
Acts 16. I looked at Apostle Paul on, and uh, his missionary journey here. And uh, starting with verse 6, Now they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After that, they were come to Mysia. They essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. You know, sometimes when I read these words, I think, wow, these guys were like out wandering in the desert, wondering, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? And then, of course, they did get, uh, Paul did have this vision of a man from Macedonia telling him to come over from Asia, from what we see as Turkey today, come over to Macedonia in what we could know as Greece today. And uh, they did have a sign, they did have direction, but, you know, as we read the words, sometimes we condense these, we focus on the, we focus on the sign, we focus on the, the uh, miraculous direction that was given, and we perhaps we don't think about the verses before about the the searching and the seeking that went on and the, uh, the lack of direction that they had then. If we live through young adulthood, Many of us will, at some point, or I shouldn't say live through it, if at some point in young adulthood, we often come to the point where we want to create a family. We want to have a family. And when we come together as a family, we may have gotten, we may have gotten somewhat, I don't know, somewhat accomplished at, we, at least we feel we become accomplished perhaps at discerning God's direction for our lives, or perhaps if we don't believe in God, perhaps we think that we've come adept, uh, we've, we've, we've uh, become adept in making our own decisions and uh, knowing, uh, you know, making the right decisions. And then we come together with a family. And suddenly, it's not just up to me. Suddenly, I can't just say, it's my way or the highway. I know what God wants me to do. Let's go do it. Come with me. Shots, come with me. Let's, let's go. You know, when we come together as a family, we face these challenges of we have, bring, if we bring two believers together, how do we make decisions together? You know, how do we determine the will of God? And it's important to recognize that God brought us together because he wants to help us to make mutual decisions. He wants to work through us together as believers. And while I may come into marriage thinking that I have grown in the Lord, I have these spiritual insights that I didn't have as a youngster. Now, all of a sudden, I'm marrying someone else. 
and they also have spiritual insights, and they have also probably come, hopefully come to a point in their lives where they have, have uh, a, a confidence in their, their spiritual life. So when we create a family, we deal with not only our convictions, our our understanding, our interpretation of God's will for our lives, but we need to learn how to work with our spouses, our spouses' convictions. And when they're not the same, we need to be able to come to the Lord together in prayer and work through these differences and find a way to to come together and to find joint direction from the Lord. So nowadays I understand that there's a, such a thing as quarter-life crisis. Quarter of the way through your life you have these crises, that, uh, crisis, existential crises like we used to have called a midlife crisis for those of us that, uh, that uh, I guess I'll say I'm still in midlife, or I'll be generous. We, we come, as, as we, we grow here, you know, when you have a family, when you have a job, and you're going through this, suddenly life becomes very busy, right? And some days you feel like, hey, I'm just, I'm just barely surviving, I'm barely keeping my head up. Where is God in this? Is this really what God, all, God has given me for, you know, in life? Is this really my expectation of an abundant life? Sometimes we may go down even dark holes, midlife crisis. We may think, we may start losing our faith in God. We may feel like life has become drudgery, perhaps, and, hey, I wish, I wish my partner wasn't holding me back. I wish, my, I wish my partner was more supportive of my desire to um, achieve something in life or to do this or to do that or that my mother, my partner would be more would be uh, more encouraging for me to spend money on technology or whatever my baubles are that I desire for my life. Sometimes we doubt that God. We may even doubt that God exists. And we may not even know why we doubt. You know, as someone that's studied a lot, you know, I, I read a lot of different things. I try, to, I try to understand what's going on in science. I try to understand what's going on in society. And I try to reconcile those. My mind struggles sometimes to to bring all things together. And ultimately through my life, I've had to learn that I need to give those over to, to the Lord and that I will not ever have the answer to all those things until one day when I see him in heaven.
So I don't know if I should go much past this here because uh, it's dangerous to talk about stages of life that you haven't been in. But of course, I keep thinking someday, someday we're going to get to the empty nest. Hasn't happened yet. But uh, someday it'll be back to just me and Evelyn. And nowadays, of course, there's a lot of what they call gray divorce. A lot of people that... uh, Late in life, they decide, oh, they get the empty nest stage, and they said, say, oh, we're not compatible anymore. And they divorce. And finally, of course, past the empty nest, We have, for those of us that have been fortunate enough to make it this long, there is the uh, approaching death. So if I go back to Solomon's writing here, now that I've taken you away for such a long time, if I go through this book of Ecclesiastes, I see an older man, I see a lot of grief. I see a a lot of cynicism. My life's been meaningless, in spite of the fact that he was the wisest man in the world. If you look at through some of the other chapters, we see how he sought out pleasures, he saw he built buildings, how he did all these things that we think of as humans as as great human experiences, and yet they were unfulfilling to him. So what are we to do as humans? Are we expected to remain in the state of a child forever? Is that our solution? The Apostle Paul said, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. You know, I can look back through rose-colored glasses and I can say, wow, my relationship with the Lord, it was the best when I was a child, you know, I didn't... I was corrected by my parents. I didn't really have this concept of, of sin, you know. If my parents forgave me, I, had this, I was, had this perfect relationship with God. Then I went in my preteen, my teen, and my preteen years, and I, I struggled to rebuild, to find, I struggled with sin. I, I struggled with how do I, how do I come out of that? How do I, how do I come to the Lord? How do I experience his grace again? And for me personally, I was able to be, to be able to be experience God's salvation and be baptized when I was 19 years old, and that helped set the course for for my life. And yet, my relationship with God was different. Um, at that point, I did have, I still had time in my life where. You know, I had more time than money, and uh, life is like that, right? We start out with more time than money, and all of a sudden, later on, we have money but no time. 
well, I shouldn't say we do if, if, uh, if uh, God is gracious, we, we at, at least have enough to live on. But, um, but my relationship with God was different. Again, I had perhaps what I'd consider a fresh start in my conversion experience being with God, and yet right away Satan was there attacking me and saying, you know, hey, you know, you still aren't perfect. You still fall short of God, of God's expectations, you know. And suddenly, even after conversion, we had this realization that, hey, there are still temptations out there. This is still a daily fight. And, you know, um, why? Why? I thought I had the, I thought I was converted, I had the perfect life, and there I am. And yet, here, I'm still struggling. And then we go on, and we come even busier. We go through life and move into a family or occupation, and suddenly, we're, we're so busy, we barely have time to pray, perhaps. And... Perhaps we feel, look back and we say, oh, things were so good when I was first converted, you know, even though we know that really wasn't true. You know, we idolize or we think about how good things were then and um, look at all the challenges I'm facing now. We move into midlife, we have midlife crisis and we think about, oh, you know, I'm so stuck now, I can't get out of this, I, I gotta keep working because I gotta keep supporting my family. Okay, going too long. There are no perfect times in life. Apostle Paul got to the end of his life and he said, for I am now ready to be offered, and my time of departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You know, as we go through life, we have to keep nurturing our relationship with God. We can't expect it always to be the same. We have to keep coming to God. We have to keep working on our relationship. My relationship with God is not what it was when I was a child. My relationship with God is not what it was when I was first converted. My relationship as a, as a child of God is not the same as when I was first married or when I first went into the work world or when I suffered through midlife crisis. My relationship with God is what it is today. I may not have the rosy glasses, the rose-colored glasses that I had when I was a child, but I do know that God has been faithful. God has been there for me. That God has blessed me throughout my life. that God has continued to teach me in spite of my continued failings, God has been there. When I was young, I could pray for, I had time, I could pray for hours and hours. Today, my prayers are much shorter and quicker, but I feel that 
when I, from the time I get up till the time I go to bed, that I am in prayer mode, that God is there, God is hearing my prayer, God is responding to me, even if I'm not consciously thinking about him, even if I've got my mind on my work or my mind on something else, I feel that God is there, that God is presence, God is the same today, yesterday, forever, Jesus Christ, the same. Our relationships with God change and grow, just as our relationships with our spouse, with our children, they change and grow over time. They're not the same. That does not mean that they are not as beautiful. I would say they're more beautiful, right? When we leave behind the rose-colored glasses, when we start looking at, at how God has taken us from a child and made us into adults, made us into Believers that are strong in his word, that can withstand the tests of time, the tests of life, the struggles of life. If we can get to the age of Solomon, if we cannot be, still be cynical, if we can avoid cynicism and still have that faith in God, that trust that he's still working in our lives, that he's still there present with us, that our relationship is stronger than ever with our God, with our wife, our spouse, our family. That's what life is about. Solomon, as he closes in the last chapter, he said, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It's not only the whole duty of man, it's one of the greatest blessings that we can have in this world is to grow our relationship with our God, our Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, day by day, moment by moment, and to come out through the tests and the trials of this world strong and tested. May God bless his word.